At Waitangi this year, the Prime Minister, John Key, said he was keen to see a deal struck with New Zealand's largest iwi, Napui, to settle its treaty claims. But as this Radio New Zealand insight has been finding out, the chances of reaching an agreement in principle with the Crown this year are now remote, and the rifts within the iwi are deepening by the day. Sixteen years after the government settled the first of the major treaty claims with Ngaitahu, just one remains to be dealt with. Ngāpuhi, the biggest and poorest iwi in the country, is the last to have its grievances heard by the Waitangi Tribunal, and that process has at least a year to run. But for the last six years, its runanga, or tribal council, has been urging Ngāpuhi to cut to the chase and negotiate a settlement. And that campaign's created tensions that are now at breaking point. The harmonies of the Ngāpuhi anthem are deep and effortless for hapū gathered at Whangarei's Ngāratunua Marae. But just an hour before, two kaumātua were close to throwing punches, and there was talk of traitors. And I say this, they all walk a jump. They walk a jump because they stuck by the kaupapa that we said. I reckon someone came here to get a profile, and then all of a sudden they shoot out there and go and get onto another walker. Some would say this is Ngāpuhi, what's new? But the Hapu Alliance, Te Kotahitanga, says it's fighting for control of a settlement process that's been hijacked by an organisation that doesn't represent the claimants, the Ngāpuhi Runanga. I'm Lois Williams, and Insight This Week investigates why settling with Ngāpuhi could be the toughest treaty deal yet. I said at the beginning that uh, every person over the age of 18 and of Ngāpuhi descent will have an opportunity to participate in this process, and that's been for the last six years. And going forward, there is still an opportunity for people to be involved. The chairman of the Ngāpuhi Runanga, Sunny Tau, has from the beginning led the charge to seek a mandate to settle the iwi's treaty claim. It was never going to be easy. Ngāpuhi has an estimated 120,000 members, and that makes it twice the size of the next biggest iwi, Waikato Tainui. 60% of Ngāpuhi live in Auckland. Many others live in Australia. There are more than 100 hapu in the north, several of them bigger than entire iwi elsewhere, and many are fiercely independent. The historian Professor Paul Moon says Ngāpuhi, because of its size, can be seen as a federation rather than a tribe. Traditionally the name Ngāpuhi exists, of course, and it covers a large group of people, but I think in the last two centuries the way that Ngāpuhi has been projected has been a product, at least partially, of European scholarship as much as of community identity. I suppose things have changed slightly now, but if you went to parts of Northland, say, 20 or 30 years ago, and you asked people to which group do they belong, they might say we belong to perhaps Natihene or to Matarahurahu, or they might name a particular hapu. Um, Ngāpui is a much more generic term, and it's a, it's a term, I think, increasingly now of convenience. But when it comes, as I say, to these these large-scale treaty settlements, you can talk about Tuhoi or um, Tainui, Ngāpuhi, they're these big constructs. But if you go back to the signing of the treaty, uh, one of the, the points that's significant is that no chief signed the treaty on behalf of Ngāpuhi, not one. They, each of the northern chiefs signed on behalf of their respective hapu. An elder actually pointed this out to me. Most of the people killed in Ngāpuhi in, in some of the wars at the turn of the, the 19th century were killed by other Ngāpuhi. It was that inter-tribal fighting that was far more common than Ngāpuhi going somewhere else to fight other iwi. So this competition between hapu, hapu suggests that 
Hapu were almost sovereign units, and they, they had their own structures, their own chief, and they would fight with other hapu. The idea of an iwi, this, this concept of Napui, had certainly had utility in terms of identity. Um, when there was a common threat from outside, it was a unifying force, shared ancestry, shared history, and so on. But from day-to-day -day practicalities, um, hapu had a lot more currency traditionally. Um, that's probably being resuscitated to some extent as a result of these proposed settlements. However, the government prefers to deal not with hapu, but with iwi, or what it calls large natural groupings when it comes to treaty settlements. And in February this year, it accepted the claim of the Runanga and its mandate subcommittee to Horunuku that it had the majority approval of all Ngāpuhi to pursue a settlement. That was despite strenuous objections from the Hapu Alliance to Kotahitanga, which says the Runanga has no right to handle the settlement. Peter Tipani, a leader of the major subtribe Ngāti Hine, explains why. Tu Horonuku is a subcommittee of Te Runanga Iwi o Ngāpuhi, and Te Runanga Iwi o Ngāpuhi is an artificial construct. Uh, it's not natural, and when the Crown wants to settle with natural groupings of people, all we see is a crown-constructed organisation that's working with its parent body to run roughshod over the hapu. And when it comes down to it, it was hapu who signed the Treaty of Waitangi. And from 1840 through to this time, nothing has changed. Those hapu still want to speak for themselves. The hapu of Ngāpuhi have in fact been speaking for themselves in the Waitangi Tribunal hearings for the last two years. They've filed more than 390 claims, which the tribunal won't finish hearing for another year at the earliest. It's been an arduous, complex and often emotionally fraught process, but by and large it's run smoothly. And it's been coordinated by Te Kotahitanga, with significant leadership from Ngātihini. Peter Tepini says the experience has reinforced hapu bonds and the desire to negotiate a settlement based on the five natural groupings recognised by the tribunal. And I'm saying the hapu want to settle, but on our terms. In other words, the government wants to settle with one large organisation that is representative of all of Ngāpuhi. We as Ngāpuhi want to settle as one, but through our component parts, of which there are five. And I'm talking about Hokianga, Bay of Islands, Whangaroa, Waimate Taiamai and Whangarei. We want to settle as soon as possible, start improving the circumstances of our people's lives, and all we see is the Crown working with an artificial organisation to meet its own agenda and its own aims. The Minister for Treaty Settlements, Chris Finlayson, met with Ngātihini in Whangarei this month to hear why the hapu wants to paddle its own waka. He was told Ngātihini's had its own runanga since 1876 and now runs its own health and social services, along with early childhood education, environmental, housing and forestry enterprises. Ngātihini also says it has no reason to trust the Ngāpuhi Runanga. Under the 2004 Fisheries Act, Ngātihini was given the right to become an iwi and have a share of the $60 million fisheries settlement held by the Ngāpuhi Runanga. But Ngātihini says the Runanga has blocked its attempts to get any benefit from those assets. The Runanga says it's repeatedly asked Ngātihini to prove its hapu membership numbers and it hasn't done so. Chris Finlayson says the Crown's only aim is to secure a just and durable settlement for Ngāpuhi. He says the government's acceptance of Tuhoronuku's mandate is still conditional at this point.
and he's not ruling out or in the possibility of allowing Ngātihini to withdraw from the Tuhoronuku mandate along with other hapū to seek a separate settlement. There is that possibility uh, if the conditions are not being met uh, or if it becomes clear that uh, Tuhoronuku do not have the, uh, the necessary support, then I obviously have to look at those uh, eventualities. But I'm, what I'm trying to do uh, is I've set out conditions in a letter from Dr Sharples and me. We're both keeping a very close eye on it uh, and we'll cross various bridges when we come to them. Across the Tasman, the Ngāpui anthem's the same, but the world of hapū politics is another planet. More than 50,000 Māori live in Sydney, many of them Ngāpuhi, and with no marae, their community headquarters is the Wairua Tapu Church in the suburb of Redfern. The crowd has agreed that the Rokuwa is the mandated organisation to settle all Ngāpuhi's historical grievances against the crowd. On a balmy summer evening, Sunny Tau and Tuhoronuku trustees are holding an information hui on settlement progress. And in striking contrast to the rowdy receptions they've had back home, they find passionate support from the 40 or so Ngāpuhi who've turned out, including this exhortation from a former Moiriwa man who'd love to go home but says he can't afford to work for $10 an hour. I just want to say to you both, let's go with this. We have to work. We have to go with it because we can't wait too long now. One woman who's a registered nurse says she was unhappy at first that Tuhoronuku was campaigning for support in Australia when the hapu at home had major objections to its mandate. But she says she changed her mind after she went home to Kaikohi to work for a spell as a school nurse and saw close up the poverty and the apathy it breeds. She says the turning point for her was having to take children's medicines out to whānau who couldn't be bothered picking them up. Who am I to blame anyone, really? Who am I? I see, you know, the unemployment, I see health system down, you know, you see the economy down over there. Who am I to put that judgment on them? But at the end of the day, you know, I just wish our people would stand strong and and, uh, continue to fight the fight, really. You know, everyone chooses to do whatever they want to do. People back home, they choose to, you know, sit down and let it all happen. You know, or do nothing about it. Some are, you know, trying to be active, I suppose, about it. But I think we just want a bit more than that. And that's what we're here doing, just doing that just a little bit more. Another Sydney cider, Marcia Ho, says the years of work put in by the Ngāpuhi Runanga and Tuhoronuku have led the iwi to a long-awaited turning point. She's been in Sydney since 1979. She's an Australian citizen and she works with Māori youngsters in trouble with the justice system. Marcia Ho says she sees Ngāpuhi children every day who are suffering because their parents have been forced to move to Australia to survive, cutting them off from their whānau and sense of identity. For me, Tuhoronuku is a light. It's a light for our kids. They don't want to hear about us fighting. They don't hear that. Um, you know, and they don't need to hear it. It's about us looking at how we want to make things better for now. And if we can do that now, it can only progress better in the future. 
Chris Barber, who was born and raised in the small Northland town of Moiriwa, has been in Australia for 14 years. The construction project manager is now a leader of the Māori community in Sydney, an organiser of Ngāpuhi festivals there and at the forefront of plans for a marae. For him, there's no question that Ngāpuhi should forge ahead and settle with the Crown as soon as possible, not for the sake of whānau in Australia, but for the whānau at home. There are, are a lot of, of Māori that reside here that, that are saying, we now have the opportunity to change, change the landscape of our future in New Zealand, and especially the Taitokero, with the advancement of the Skaupapa. The settlement uh, outcome isn't going to be able to, uh, to fix all the problems, you know, never be able to do that, but it gives us the opportunity to start creating commerce it, it also gives us the opportunity to, to also learn from other iwi that have, are in post-settlement. So Ngāpuhi is in a, a really good place at the moment, in my opinion. And for, uh, We were the first to sign, and we're just about the last to settle. And, and so we can pick up the pieces from the adversities of other tribes and then move collectively together. We're not going to get everyone on board. You know, that's... That's uh, nearly impossible, but what we can do is, is we can improve the current situation of, of a lot of our whānau back home. And uh, number one is just to be able to put kai on the table and clothes on our backs. But in Auckland, where nearly two-thirds of Ngāpuhi live these days, the divisions over the mandate are apparent. A tūhoranuku hui in Point Chevalier is disrupted by angry hapu. Nakuya Titifai Harawira, a trustee of Tu Horonuku and staunch supporter of the mandate, says the objectors don't want others to hear the good news. Unfortunately, other people like to, you know, disrupt things so that the majority of people who come to hear what that message is are unable to get a clear message, and that's unfortunate. But nevertheless, Tu Horonuku has been tasked to do a job by Ngāpuhi, by the Komata and queer, and we are committed to do that. But at a similar hui in Manurewa in the evening, the audience is more receptive. What this mandate is about is Ngāpuhi, you said in 2011 that you support Tuhurunuku. What you're also going to do as a whole iwi is elect through an independent returning officer, you are going to elect people that are going to appoint the negotiators for you with the Crown. And Am I happy with this, this, that process? Well, based on how robust it is, based on how transparent it is, based on how it's my own queer, my own komatsu, how can I not support? I absolutely, totally support. When Ngāpuhi voted on the Tuhoronuku mandate, 29,000 voting packs went out to people over 18 on the tribal register. Only 23% of them came back. Of those who voted, 76%... That's about 5,000 voted for Tuhoronuku to go ahead. That's just 17% of eligible Ngāpui electors. However, at the Manurewa Hui, an older man, Urupani Karaka, still found the figures persuasive. But he says making decisions was a lot simpler for Ngāpui in the days of leaders like the late Māori Battalion Commander and Ngātahine Chief Sir James Henari. Sir James Henari, when he, when he spoke, the whole Ngāpui listened. 
we seem to have lost that, and uh, so I sort of just give up, you know, and then, and then this, then this two-horned-looking thing rearing up, and I hear all these different different factions from moving up, and who am I going to listen to? And, and is there any Sir James Henry to, uh, to help us? But uh, we can never go back to Sir James anymore, but uh, I would say two-horned-looking, two I can't even pronounce it properly, with, with that so-called... 74, 76%. That's a big year to, to me, anyway. If, if that's what's, what it takes, 76%, that's Napoli speaking. That's, that's the way I see it, anyway. But that vote for Tuhoranuku was taken three years ago. Peter Tepany of the Hapu Alliance says by the time the Crown finally accepted the mandate this year, the opposition was clearly apparent. When submissions were opened last year in July through to September, out of the three and a half thousand submissions, and I'm talking on behalf of re really large organisations, 63% opposed the Tuhoronuku mandate. Now, how the government can say that it's got popular support from Ngāpuhi, everyone's scratching their head, and um, the Crown should be ashamed that they can say that it can go ahead with that much opposition to it. Tuhoronuku, for its part, says there have been major changes to the mandate as a result of those submissions. The number of hapu seats on Tuhoronuku has been bumped up from 7 to 15, and the runanga seats cut from 2 to 1. But the hapu say the rules governing the elections for those seats are causing more heartache. Peter Tippany says there's no requirement for people standing for the hapu seats to have the support of their hapu. It only requires one person to nominate another person. So last night we find that a person who's been living in Sydney since 1979 rarely comes home, has decided to be nominated onto Tuhoronuku and speak for Ngāti Hine. Another person who's put their name up for another one of Ngāti Hine's hapu has been nominated by a person from who's living abroad. We never ever see these people in Ngāti Hine. We're not saying that they are not of Ngāti Hine extraction, but we're saying how can a person purport to represent Ngāti Hine when nobody's ever seen them? They've never been involved in the hapu politics and so they're really invisible. If that is a concept of democracy and how it works for us here in Ngāti Hine, it simply doesn't. And that's exactly what's happening throughout Ngāpuhi. And that's causing widespread consternation. It split the family, split the hapu, split the marae, split the community, splitting them apart. Sharon Kaipo, a queer from Mangakahia, says her two hapu voted to reject to Horonuku and take no part in its elections. But the rules have allowed distant relatives, who've done none of the heavy lifting of the hapu's claims, to be nominated to represent it. How do people who, who aren't tangata whenua, who don't live out there, how do they know of our histories, of our kōrirōs, of our, of our everything, unless you live with the people, unless you walk with the people, unless you're right beside the, the creek where the forestry is damaging that, that waterway? How can you speak about that unless you live there? I don't think it's possible. The Hapu Alliance says the mandate process is causing resentment and feuds that will last for generations. Rudy Taylor, the co-chair, says his Hokianga Hapu have also had their stand against Tuhoronuku undermined by carpetbaggers and their resentment is understandable. It's funny enough that our people that go, go out of our country and then make a noise outside, I think it, it's a bit unfeeling for the people at home that know exactly what they want. You know, uh, funny thing enough about Māoris, when they leave their land, 
they say, Fanonga, you look after our land, but you pay the rates. And then after that, um, go away and stay away for another five, ten years. So who's upholding the, the candle is the, kai, the whole kainga at home. So I think it's important for them to understand what structures we're looking at to get us across the line. Paul Moon says while Ngāpuhi Hapu have united to present their claims against the Crown, the process of dealing with an imminent settlement has so far served only to divide them. There's a real problem that if some form of reconciliation isn't achieved soon, that the cement hardens, that both groups, are, there's a degree of movement at the moment, but as time passes their positions become a bit more entrenched and they become a bit more institutionalised, if you like. So the representatives will hold meetings, they'll have minutes and so on, and over time this builds up a sense that they're a legitimate representative of their respective groups. And so again, the, the obligation I suspect a lot of people feel is that the two groups somehow reach a compromise. And it won't be a perfect one, but it'll be to some extent get over this problem of, of the division that over time just hardens. But not all the big hapu have refused to play ball with Tu Horonuku. Tara Nehua of Ngati Hau says his hapu nominated him and other representatives rather than see the positions filled by people they don't know. The rogue nominations go up by this date, they'll be representing the, the hapu. The call it all was that uh, there was a preference or there was a need to to protect our, our hapu interest, our hapu position. And the prominent Kirikiri hapu Ngati Rehia is also backing the mandate. The kuya, Nora Ramaka, says it wasn't an easy decision to make, but it was a strategic one. She says the deciding factors were the increase in hapu seats on Tuhoronuku, the assurance that it'll become independent of the runanga after the elections, and the government's assurance that the Waitangi Tribunal hearings will run their full course. Mrs Ramaka says despite the flaws in the mandate process, her hapu would rather sit at the negotiating table than stand outside. For us, we're tired of the, the fighting, we have to say. We, we're saying that uh, we don't want to fight anymore. We really want to just work because they, it's not about us anymore. It's about our future. It's about our young people, our mokopunas that are not even here yet. And so we're clear that we are ready to go to the table. We have worked really hard as a hapu just to be recognised as a hapu uh, in a very Pākehā community like Kirikiri. And it's an area that is growing and we need to grow with it. Instead of us being somewhere those Maoris are, you know, we'll get them when we want them. <laughs> we'll ask them to come when we need them. And so we've actually risen above that. We are still need to be heard because there are stories that my people do want to tell. And we do want to present our stories, uh, historical grievances, but we also have a plan to say that this is what we want out of these grievances. That one that we've held for, for many years, that we want something better for our grandchildren. The chair of the Ngāpuhi Runanga, Sunny Tau, also heads to Horonuku for the time being. He says the dissident hapu need to realise that negotiating a treaty settlement cannot be driven by tikanga or Māori protocols. He says it's a legal, crown-controlled process and a democratic one. I said at the beginning that uh, every person over the age of 80 and of Ngāpuhi descent will have an opportunity to participate in this process and that's been for the last six years and going forward there is still an opportunity for people to be involved. If hapu decide 
not to be involved, then don't be surprised if people put uh, their names forward to represent them. So, and at the end of the day, it's uh, it's the choice of the majority of those who want to be involved. If people don't want to be involved and want to sit outside, there's nothing much else we can offer. The settlement will be settled. Individual claimants in Hapu have their claims, but there's no mechanism within this mandate or within the, in the Crown purview that they negotiate single uh, individual claims or, or settle sing individual claims with individuals or Hapu. There, there is only going to be one settlement from Hapu here. And those who don't want to be involved, that's their choice. But don't think that Ngāpuhi is going to stop and turn around. But the Hapu Alliance is aiming not to turn Tuhoranuku around, but to stop it in its tracks. In the last fortnight, a dozen Hapu have joined in action by the Alliance and Ngāti Hine, asking the Waitangi Tribunal for an urgent hearing on the mandate. Peter Tepany says the process has worked against the interests of the Hapu and it's been toxic for relationships within the iwi. Even if Tuhoronuku was able to get a semblance of, of people around the table to make uh, a decision for Ngāpuhi and settle for whatever amount, these fractures in our Ngāpuhi society are going to stay deep for generations to come. Children listen to their parents and their grandparents. They know what's going on and this will carry on into further generations. The chair of the Northland Regional Council, Bill Shepherd, says only Ngāpui can decide what's best for them and how to go about getting it. But with Māori unemployment in the region at 17% and Māori weekly incomes a third lower than Pākehā's, he says a treaty settlement would be a huge lift for both Ngāpui and the region. The Māori component of the Northland population is, is of such an extent that it, it doesn't matter whether you're a Māori or a Pākehā Northlander, we can't afford to have over a third of our population sitting on the sidelines and watching the rest of the world go by. They, they need to be actual players and engaged in the economy. The Minister, Chris Finlayson, says he's keeping a close eye on the Tuhoranuku election process and he'll review the mandate when the final results of those elections are in next month. But he says he no longer expects to get into negotiations with Ngāpui this year. The ongoing litigation between the parties, everything takes a bit longer than I thought. Sometimes people surprise me when they move so very quickly. Uh, this one's going to take longer. And I'm not going to rush anything or play favourites or fail to dot the I's and cross the T's because what our intra-iwi or inter-hapu uh, problems then becomes the Crown's problem. Given the government's earlier hopes of settling the last of the major treaty claims this year, that would have to be a disappointment. But Mr Finlayson's philosophical. I suppose it's not for the Crown to feel elation or disappointment. Uh, I strongly believe that a settlement package uh, directed to the north would do a, a huge amount of good up there, uh, but they have to come to it um, their own way, in their own time, and... Uh, what I have found in my five and a half years as Treaty Minister is that what may appear to be uh, an insuperable problem so often isn't when people knuckle down. The Waitangi Tribunal will meet at Waitangi next month to consider the Hapu request for an urgent hearing on the mandate issue. I'm Lois Williams and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. 
I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Chris Keogh.